0: Welcome to the PsychNPCast, a podcast made specifically for psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and their peers. You're about to enjoy, be educated, and entertained about your profession. Just remember, folks, the views you hear on this show are those of our amazing guests. Always validate what you do through your best practice guidelines and patient care standards. Now, let's get to the show. Let's get to the show, indeed, indeed. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Psych NPcast, the podcast for psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners and their peers. I'm Ed Stern. My pronouns are he, him, his, and wow, do we have an exciting episode for you today. Before I get to the details of this episode, I want to just remind everybody that if this is your first time listening to our podcast, take a moment and make sure that you subscribe in your mobile device and the podcast application that you choose. That way, you're going to get these podcasts automatically downloaded to you with every new episode. Today, my guest is Dre Siha. They are an amazing resource for helping professionals like us understand how to avoid assumptions when caring for the transgender and non-binary community, communicate more effectively with the transgender non-binary community, and just overall make sure that we're providing appropriate affirming care. I've had an opportunity now to participate in two classes that Dre has taught, and they have opened my eyes to what are really just easy low-impact ways for us to make sure that we're providing affirming care, we're avoiding assumptions, and we're being respectful for the transgender and non-binary community. Simple, low-impact things are what we're going to talk about today. So without any further ado, Dre, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: I am Dre Seha. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm the director of training and education at the LGBT Center of Central PA. I could do it again. Did you hear the, the ambulance? <laughs> 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 well, it's okay. Don't worry it's about it. It's currently an emergency, by. but uh, <laughs> um, um, I do a whole lot of other stuff, too, um, in the training world. But, you know, that's where I'm coming from today. Well, I appreciate you joining us.
0: Thanks so much. Yeah, uh, you, I have had the privilege of uh, attending some of your training. I think you are, without a doubt, um, very knowledgeable and able to connect the dots, so to speak, yeah, uh, for the medical community to under to better understand the transgender, gen, gender non-conforming, non-binary world. Um, and I love the fact that we have the opportunity to sort of do that today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, kind of funny that medical folks um, are some of my favorite people to train to. So that <laughs> session was through um, TTI for folks who are listening, Transgender Training Institute. And we do a lot of really great, quick and easy sessions for folks working in uh, healthcare. care and in mental health too. Um, so we do one and two-on-ones and we also come to the actual uh, site and do trainings too. So uh, lots of options there, but one of my favorite uh, groups to, to work with definitely healthcare providers. Well,
0: that's great. Well, and we're going to let you talk to your favorite group. Um, I think too. We'll make sure that in the show notes, uh, I'll make sure I get from you all sorts of information so we can sure. make sure that folks know what's coming up. Um, where? Do you, okay. So I think the biggest challenge that that I have seen, heard, experienced, and heard from my peers is, you know, nobody wants to. Well, let's hope nobody wants to. Uh, you know misgender inappropriately communicate with somebody uh, in the trans community um so what are some of the key things that you can think of that are like maybe maybe like some starting points for people who are in a practice to make mm-hmm. sure that they're um you know they're they're starting their journey to being affirming
1: yeah i think first is you know get as much education on the topic as you possibly can, you know, whatever Avenue uh, feels most comfortable to you. There's definitely options out there. There's books, there's webinars, there's podcasts like these, and Mm -hmm. maybe you're somebody who uh, really loves a good conference (laughs) session. You know, there's really (laughs) great conferences out there too. Um, And there's really good uh, sites online. Um, You know, WPath Mm -hmm. has really great, uh, free information, but also uh, some other courses and conferences and info that you can get your hands on there too. Um, you know, the more info you get through W-W Path, too, you know, you can also um, become one of their doctors in their kind of like database or network, mm-hmm. um, the more confident you get in this topic. So I definitely think, you know, ongoing education mm-hmm. and I do say ongoing because uh, it's, it's often not enough (laughs) to do the one thing and like, check it off your list for the year. Uh, Um, I definitely recommend folks to do something every week, every day, you know, even if it just means like diversifying your social media that you follow or (laughs) yeah. Right. Like you you can still learn a lot of really great stuff, um, Mm -hmm. every day on social media. Um, and then, you know, Mm Uh, scale out a little bit. What can you do that week? What can you do that month, that quarter, that year? Uh, because best practices um, and language and all of it is always changing um, as we're evolving. <laughs> so <laughs> I, mean, well,
0: what I think that that's kind of the key point is you mm-hmm. know, the lexicon the the, you know, the way we communicate as, as people has always mm-hmm. changed and evolved. And so, you know, especially in this community that mm-hmm. that there you know there's different terminology that you know there there's some medical terminology that we use mm-hmm. as peers that that is you know perceived by some uh, you know to be offensive um there's all sorts of different you know different aspects here that we need to take into consideration and us talking you know as, as professionals Versus talking to, you know, the lay person, we've always had to adjust our our vocabulary and, you know, and, and in the trans community, absolutely not to mention it's regional, um, you know, I mean, I think I've learned more recently about some regional idioms just by mm-hmm. watching things like people in the trans and LGBTQ community, non-binary community on, in places like TikTok. Mm-hmm. what, you know, the terminology that they use. I mean, I think those are all pretty fascinating ways to uh, maybe educates the strong word for it, but just in, certainly mm-hmm. to inform Yeah. and, you know, and, and obviously, you know, caveat emptor, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta <laughs> be cautious of what, you know, the, the, the rabbit holes you are getting into in social media, Yeah. but certainly making sure that you're, you know, making yourself aware and, and, and more sensitive to, you know, to the needs of the patients sure mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. yeah you know you you mentioned too even like medical language and language we use is always changing too it's just like you know the language we're speaking right now english is it's a living language um yeah. which is a great thing you know it, it's beautiful that we come up with new words and find uh, new ways to describe experiences um that we just haven't had names for before uh, so uh yeah, you know, if we were speaking like Latin, we're looking at Latin as a dead language, something, nothing to to evolve from that. But in English, there's always room to to move forward and evolve with one another. And I think the more words we have, uh, the less isolated people often feel. Right. So, uh, somebody who, um, you know, identifies as non-binary. That is a word that's being used more commonly in public spaces and in the media and um, all of these like social areas of life, say 20, 30 years ago, may not have heard that as commonly used before. And there's definitely non-binary folks 20, 30 years ago um, and may have felt really isolated in their experience, having never had a word to name what they felt or had other people to look to and say, oh, they're non-binary, I'm non-binary. We're both non-binary. We both are having a shared or similar experience. So I think, you know, words help us to name the very complex things that are happening in our, in our minds and in our hearts and in our bodies uh, and be able to find that commonality and feel less alone. And, you know...
0: yeah i mean i love i love the way the love love the way you put it of course you know we also know that words words can hurt yeah Uh, (laughs) and you know even when non and you know non-intentional um i was having a conversation recently with somebody uh, you know the icd 10 Mm -hmm. still has transsexualism Mm -hmm. as you know as a category and of course it's moved but you know and there'll be some improvements with that with the icd-11 but you know when we're when we're stuck with certain certain terms in our profession uh, you know as medical people and trying to code to to be able to provide care (laughs) there's that unfortunate disconnect that we're kind of stuck with uh (laughs) you know um uh, me personally uh, you know from my, my personal belief is i don't believe in I don't believe that labels should be necessary that's that's a personal belief of mine um if other people want to label themselves that's obviously their you know they're they're right but when you're forced to label mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know
0: like if if i have to give a diagnosis or or use an icd10 code because i need to be able to put a label on a person in order to you know mm-hmm. move them through a, a system or or get insurance i mean I think that's partly where you know, we're mm-hmm. stuck here.
1: Right. It's like doing the like mental translation of like, yes, this is a code I have to put here. And this is something that I know is also going to be harmful if I use this word with the patient. Yeah. So it just takes that learning and that knowing. And if you don't know how to do that little bit of um, switching sure. <laughs> from role well, to role, And
0: it's even, it's even the aspect of legal name versus the person's yeah. identified yeah. name,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, in a health, in a Electronic medical record. I, I'm forced, so to speak, you know, to use a legal name because I have to do insurance billing. I have to send out prescriptions, um, but this is not a name mm-hmm. that the person identifies with, right? And right. you know, and those are those are extremely challenging times, and it's it's an awkward time. It can be triggering for some people, and and awkward for others, and. You know it's um I, i've I've been on a journey recently uh, in looking at new uh, you know looking at electronic health records, and it's the number one question I find myself asking right up mm-hmm. front is, you know, let's see how this works. You know, I want my patients to be able to call in and say, you know this is this is gene, and to be able to be found by by the receptionist. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. for gene to be for when gene pulls the record up for it to be very clear excuse me when you know when the receptionist pulls the record up for it to be very clear that you know that this is gene's record even if that's not what their legal name is yeah and um i want them being comfortable going into the portal to see i I can't yet completely Mm -hmm. remove the legal record but you know it can be a lot of very, very subtle things mm-hmm. in order to make our patients mm-hmm. feel more comfortable, and if they're more comfortable, we're going to be better able to treat them. Mm-hmm. Um, in In your um, in the training that you do for uh, the transgender training institute, the the one hundred and one for medical folks, one of the things that you said in that training that I was really happy that you brought up was you were talking about vocabulary for front desk folks Mm -hmm. do you remember that section of the training
1: (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: of course you do (laughs) it's yours um you know but i think it was one of the things and i'm going to completely butcher it but it was the conversation it was the way that you gave people the opportunity to present um their pronouns and giving the patient the opportunity to, to then respond. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you, can you give that as an example?
1: Yeah. Well, I think in healthcare settings, it's a really unique situation to be in because we're collecting a lot of information about the people that we see. So it almost just becomes like this, another standard practice, like another line to put on a form. So I always say, you know the first thing (laughs) that, uh, you know, we're handing to somebody is usually an intake form ask people, you know, what is the name as it'll show up on, you know, your legal documents and your insurance so that we know how to navigate that process with you. Um, what is the name you'd like us to be using in the office today? And then also leaving a space for, for pronouns as well. Yeah. You know, and while we're, we're here talking about intake forms, another thing is, you know, the differentiation between asking about sex and sex assigned at birth and mm-hmm. gender identity, too, because uh, often places will conflate all three of those things when they're three completely different things. <laughs> and yeah. um, right. And then you end up collecting information that is then incorrect um, because your patient also doesn't know what, what you're asking them. Um, so intake forms uh, is, you know, it's a lengthy conversation. We could do a whole hour session just on how to make uh, intake forms more accessible. But that's one way to collect that information about our patients. The other um, for, you know, our front desk teams uh, to make it standard practice to have an introduction, um, where you're sharing your pronouns. Um, so a front desk person, for example, if I was the front desk person, I could say, Hey, my name is Dre Seha. Um, we're part of the front desk team here today to help you get checked in my pronouns. Are they, them, theirs? If you'd like to share your pronouns with me, you know, more than welcome to. And, you know, that is something that we could, um, potentially, implement as like a way for people to share their pronouns with the, yeah. the patients that they see. Um, another, you know, uh, thought here though, is, it, it, while it, it could be a, a standard practice, um, we don't always want to make that mandatory, right? Um, so we don't want to force people to be sharing their pronouns. Because sometimes, you know, when we have transgender and non-binary folks on our teams, um, that can be a way that they get immediately outed. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be a way for them to... Uh, To feel like it's forced upon them to share their pronouns, then also maybe share parts of themselves they're not comfortable sharing with people they're just meeting. So that's one way. And I would say for a lot of like cisgender um, folks working in front desk teams, that can be a way for you as a cisgender person to leverage your privilege in those moments, share your pronouns with the patient, help them to kind of get that cue that, okay, maybe this is a little bit more of an affirming environment. Um,
0: and I, I mean, I love, I love the way you phrase it. And, you know, and, and the fact that obviously if the individual is comfortable in in, yeah. in in sharing their pronouns key, and I think that that's, you know, that's definitely part of it. Um, very good friend of mine. Uh, it works part time at, um, we'll just say, it's a large coffee company that has places <laughs> on every corner in the world. Um, and he was in a climate where they were told, not asked, but told mm-hmm. to put their pronouns yeah. um, on their, um, you know, on their name badges. And he had actually very smartly, you know, said the same thing that you just shared. Is, you know, yeah, like, there are people here who might not be comfortable in, in, you know, in sharing mm-hmm. their pronouns. So I think that that's always key. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I like the way you phrased it, is because you know, if, if I could train my front desk people to say, you know, to share it, share their pronoun. And then we do have people, unfortunately, we do have people in this world who tend to respond negatively to that, you mm-hmm. know, to, you know, to the pronoun conversation. And that's why I love the way you phrased it. It's because, hi, my name's Ed. My pronouns are he, him, um, you know, and then, you know, if you'd like to share your pronouns, that's not forcing the other right. individual into it either, <laughs> exactly. which I think is so, you know, so mm-hmm. great. I mean, cause some people might turn around and go, well, you yeah, know, whatever I'm, I'm not going to, okay, fine. Um, And then others who do, I think, I mean, that's just a beautiful way to,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, to, to start the introduction mm-hmm. or to answer, you know, answer the phone. Um, And before we jump off of the pronoun conversation, uh, you yeah. know, I think one of the other things that you said too, that I think, you know, that I, I think is Is interesting um and again i'll probably butcher it um is you had talked about the fact that you know work to remove pronoun conversations from you know from the standard way that we we talk about individuals and that that helps in a number of different ways too did i maybe about that the right way or
1: I'm, i'm wondering um I think I may be confused. <laughs> okay. by what you're asking.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I think, right. Well, let's, let's think about it a different way. Yeah. So would another way, right. To, mm-hmm. to avoid the, you know, the pronoun confusion or, or maybe not pronoun confusion, but, but certainly to, um, certainly over the phone to make mistakes, you know, to mispronoun an individual over the phone, mm-hmm. you know, maybe their voice is a little bit lower, a little oh, bit lower yes. or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, if I, if I don't say just a minute, sir, just a minute, ma'am, right. right? Mm-hmm. If I, if I condition myself to, to not be pronoun obscure, mm-hmm. um, That can be very powerfully affirming as well, because you're not Mm -hmm. going to inadvertently mispronounce somebody that way.
1: Right. So, yeah, there is this jump that a lot of people um, go to when they they hear somebody's voice, see somebody's appearance and they automatically will categorize in their mind. Okay, this person is a man. This person is a woman, based off of what I am observing, um, which is like very normal. We all do it because um, we've all been raised in a society that only sees things in two categories, right? It's right. like this imposed. Right. We need another, we need another gender generation binary. to reverse it, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, yeah, and and. That is that is true. I mean, our, all of our brains still do that. It takes a lot of time to unlearn something like that. But it is, you know, really important that we start to check ourselves and be critically conscious in those moments and think, okay, just because this voice sounds more feminine to me does not mean that this person I'm speaking with is a woman or vice versa. You know, um, and appearance as well you know people show up looking all sorts of different ways somebody's appearance is never going to be an indication of their gender or uh, their pronouns or the gendered language that they want you to use so yeah it it goes way beyond just um just pronouns it Mm -hmm. is uh you know saying miss and Miss and ma'am or sir or young lady or (laughs) any of these these words um, that, you know, are are gendering people, right? If we just avoid gendering people um, in those spaces, then we avoid misgendering them in a lot of ways. And then later we might form, you know, more close relationships with some of the patients as we see them more and as we, you know, uh, gain rapport with them that, They might tell you that certain language does feel okay for them. They might say like, yeah, you know, you want to call me miss or you want to, you know, say young lady, those things work. Um, you know, for that individual person, they may express that to you. Uh, that might, you know, not be the case with every patient. You might not have a close relationship with every patient where they feel like sharing all of that um, personal info with you. But until we get to that point, it's really good to just maintain um, a sense of like gender neutrality across the board, right? <laughs> Some of these things that we gender people, it's like not very necessary. Um, So the less we do of that, the less we actually misgender people and potentially cause harm. Because it is harm. It's it's violent, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Using misusing people's pronouns, misusing their names, um you know, using the wrong gendered language, making these assumptions about who people are in terms of their gender, uh, you know, has really severe, often mental health impacts. For folks, right? We want to be making sure that our patients are holistically well, and part of that is making sure that they they feel um, affirmed and validated and seen, um, and that we are using the right language and interacting them with them in ways that feel affirming to them, because the opposite. Is you know that we don't affirm them, we invalidate people, we make them feel othered, uh, and that can cause you know gender dysphoria, which is um, any kind of negative emotions that someone might experience because the world does not treat them as they see themselves. Uh, so all of the things I explained, you know, misgendering, making assumptions, all of that can cause gender dysphoria, and like the, it can have impacts like making people feel. Depressed, anxious, frustrated—you um, can affect people's self-esteem and confidence, self-worth, yeah. uh, and you know that's not at all we want to be doing in mental health uh, and in healthcare settings at at all. <laughs> um, right. yeah, it's kind of <laughs> the opposite right.
0: of what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> right, right.
1: So yeah. it really is—it's—it's um, it's an act of uh, suicide prevention. Mm-hmm. It's an act of making sure that we are promoting the wellness of our patients, and we really can't do that um, if we're not affirming transgender and non-binary patients mm-hmm. in our work.
0: No, and, and agreed, 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 and yeah. agreed some more. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but I think too what what I love about about your approach, the way you you talk about these kinds of things, is that they these are simple. Mm -hmm. impact things to accomplish this isn't asking an admin to you know to go to an extensive training and learn how Mm -hmm. to become you know gender affirming this isn't uh you know you're not asking somebody who really in all honesty you're not even asking them to to be affirming if you know if their belief is they don't get it or, or Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, you're, but what you're saying is is let's just change the vocabulary universally. Mm -hmm. So it really works across the board. Right. That's, that's, what's really nice. And, and gives, you know, gives people entering into your clinical environment, you Mm -hmm. know, a sense of, of comfort and, Mm -hmm. um, you know remove some of those obstacles because there's there's you know nothing worse than picking up the phone and being stressed about calling your psychiatrist because you don't want to be misgendered or misnamed. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Right, and it's those small things um, that make a big difference. There's this quote, uh, Adrian Murray Brown says, small is all right. The small things we do every single day have a cumulative impact and actually matter <laughs> that we change the, the lives of the people around us by doing these small acts every single day to make more affirming environments and make um, you know, more inclusive healthcare systems to do all of these things that may seem like small things, but you know, the drop in the bucket eventually fills. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, that's profound. Um, (laughs) I don't know where to go from there. My goodness. Uh, again, like, you know, I have to stop agreeing with you so much. This is awesome. Uh, So, okay, well, we've, we've, we've kind of talked a little bit about introductions and, you know, yeah. and setting people at ease and
1: you know mm-hmm. and everything
0: else. What other kinds of wisdom do you have uh, for the audience?
1: Well, I think, you know, so much of it just goes back to, uh, you know, avoiding assumptions. And we talked a little bit about avoiding assumptions about who people are and what pronouns they use and Mm -hmm. what gendered language might feel good to them. But it also comes down to like, when we are trying to establish a care plan with somebody, um, there's a lot of assumptions that are made about transgender and non-binary people and what they need. Um, So, you know, often transgender and non-binary folks will come in um, the very basic, um, healthcare need. And then all of a sudden the doctor will bring up a conversation about, well, have you been on hormone replacement therapy? Do you want to go on hormone replacement therapy? What kind of surgeries are you interested in looking at? Can I make a referral for you? And suddenly it becomes a gender affirming care conversation when it didn't necessarily need to be right. Somebody comes in for a cold. We can just like, have them come in for a cold and get them the kind of medication they need, make sure that's not something more serious, right? Always be checking in with the patients and see, okay, what is our goal for today? What are you coming in here for? What's your desired outcome today? Um, might not be a uh, gender affirming care specifically like hormone replacement therapy or trying to get, um, you know, the approved letters for surgery or physical for that kind of thing or anything like that. It just might be like a, any other patient that you can yeah. see that day. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's another um, recommendation for folks is just to not make assumptions about what people may need or, or not need. Um, and not all transgender and non-binary folks, you know, want or need uh, that type of gender affirming care. So another misconception that a lot of people have is that, you know, all transgender and non-binary people really dislike their bodies and need to change them. And they're they're going to suffer if they don't, which is, you know, some, some folks that is true for them, that they really do need that medically necessary care for them uh, to feel like their body is more aligned with their gender identity, but not all transgender and non-binary people feel that way or need that as part of their care plan or as part of, you know, their life journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's often that we we focus in so heavily on medical um, affirming care in the media or when we listen to stories or watch movies about transgender and non-binary people. What we have learned from media is that transgender and non-binary people need that right yep. and that affects and informs healthcare, mm-hmm. and um it's just not the reality it's just not it's not the reality <laughs> we not all of us you know there's this myth of like the trapped in the wrong body kind of thing there's been lots of discourse from transgender and non-binary folks saying that i'm not trapped in the wrong body this is my body this mm-hmm is my body is the only body that I have. Um, and I know that that narrative too, of being feeling in the wrong body, feeling betrayed by your body, it does feel very real to a lot of people, but transgender people are not a monolith. <laughs> so we all don't have the same uh, feelings and, um, experiences there's no like transgender hive mind. <laughs> We're all kind of feeling and thinking the same thing. Um, so just like any patient, you, you yeah. need a, a specific, unique kind of plan and uh, and needs and, and yeah. concerns and thoughts and feelings and hopes and dreams. <laughs> no, that's, well,
0: very valid point. Uh, you know, I think um, I know that I have had any number of conversations with with trans patients about the fact that they they don't necessarily even they you know they don't they say themselves. They do not have dysphoria. They do mm-hmm. not meet the DSM criteria for right. dysphoria. They are coming in for anxiety secondary to something mm-hmm. else, um, and they are very comfortable in the, you know, in the person and the and the body that they're in. They just happen to also be on testosterone or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. whatever, right? You know, they happen to be on some sort of hormonal replacement therapy. Um, and for us clinically where, where it comes into play is, are they consistent with it? You know, it doesn't have to be a lengthy conversation. Tell me about your hormones. Tell me about what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're having mood related problems, then clinically I need to be asking, well, you know, are you taking them? Do you have access to them? Are you taking Mm -hmm. them consistently? Because if you're not taking them consistently, then I can understand you know, some of your mood related problems or, Mm -hmm. you know, other things, but beyond that, you're, you're absolutely right. They could be seeing us for any number of things, not necessarily, Related to their, you know, related to their status, you know, their status, right. obviously in a regular medical climate, even more so, you know, a, a twisted ankle, you don't have to have a conversation about, you know, right. about your hormones. <laughs> uh, when we're talking about brain and how your brain regulates. Yes, there's a closer tie, but I think just being conscious of that, that every conversation doesn't have to be about mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. You know, is very true. Every patient's need doesn't have to be about that.
1: Right. That's
0: a very valid point. Yeah.
1: Have, have you heard of... Um- transgender broken arm syndrome. I, I can't say that I have. Yeah, it's, it's a funny name for a very serious problem. But okay. um, so, you know, the scenario goes that a, a transgender person goes to the ER because they have a broken arm mm-hmm. and the receptionist, you know, says, well, you're transgender. We don't have folks who are specialized in transgender care. So we can't care for your broken arm here, right? So to name the problem that, some medical providers think that they have to be specialized <laughs> to work with transgender and non-binary people to help them with their very everyday, um, mental health concerns. So a broken arm is a broken arm is a broken arm, yeah, right? No, you you don't need right. to be, um, you know, a gender care specialist, uh, to help somebody with their right. broken arm at the ER. Um, so it's, it's a real, it's a real form of, uh, discrimination right um yeah. people being outright turned away and say we know we can't mm-hmm. we can't because you're mm-hmm. transgender um and then some folks may even use that um you know with the worst of intentions right transphobic uh oh, no, providers who just don't want to uh, um, care for transgender people saying no I actually don't do transgender care so mm-hmm. you have to go somewhere else um yeah, so no, it can be an either or but yeah,
0: that's very true it's very true mm-hmm. and i think um yeah, I uh, again. It's going to make it sound like I got most of my education on TikTok, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, there was an individual on TikTok who posted a, an experience going to the emergency room, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, trans individual, and and they went on. You know, they went to the emergency room. They posted their their conversation about you know somebody came in and was like, "What you know? I have this, you know, and I have this, but but you're a man." says here that you're a woman and you know and mm-hmm. how the doctor essentially right became unraveled and um, um, how a registration person came in and just you know was like oh okay yeah here we're gonna fix it boom 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 okay yeah you're you know you're all fixed uh you know i apologize for that mm-hmm. and, you know for and, and it turns <laughs> out you know that more than likely in the, doctor's, in the doctor's case, they were like, well, I can't, you know, everything I order is going to be messed up because the software forces me to do things a certain mm-hmm. way and things aren't going to match. At least that's my hope. I mean, and my hope is, isn't that the doctor was being a jerk, right. um, but <laughs> uh, no, I mean, yeah. you're right. It's unfortunate.
1: Yeah. It's
0: horribly and, unfortunate.
1: Yeah. And just the, the general confusion too, when you're thinking about um, like care that does often get, um, separated into two categories. Right. So, Mm uh, uh, annual, you know, prostate exam, you know, anybody with a prostate, whether they're a man or a woman (laughs) needs to get one. Right. So somebody might come in for a physical, you know, they're doing the usual thing. And then, uh, you know, the doctor gets to the exam portion and, is suddenly very confused. Um, And that's something that doctors really need to start unpacking is that like, okay, there are women Mm -hmm. with prostates. Mm -hmm. Um, They also need (laughs) prostate exams, Um, you know, or uh, for x-rays, you know, usually asking people who you think are women, whether or not they're pregnant before an x-ray. Um, but there are men who could be pregnant. <laughs> so we need to just be asking everyone <laughs> if there's any chance they could be pregnant uh, before they get an x-ray. Those are just two examples that usually come up for me right away. No, those are, um, those are, those are yeah.
0: very accurate. I think in our you know, in our mental health world, you know, asking the question, um, first day of your last menstrual period. Mm-hmm. You know, um, or considering when we're prescribing a medication, um, you know, considering that this man sitting in front of us could become pregnant while mm-hmm. on this medication, uh, you know, I mean, this is the level of of care that we need to take in, you know, start thinking about right the, this this man who has you know who was born female is you know that pregnancy is a possibility depending mm-hmm. upon you know, their, their chosen sex life, um, you know, and having that conversation about, you know, I would have with uh, any person, you know, identified female as at birth, I would have, you know, and, and of childbearing age, I would have a specific conversation. Mm-hmm. Here's the medication I'm going to put you on this medication does right. this, it does this, it does this. Um, It is safe. Um, If there is a possibility Mm -hmm. that you could be pregnant, we would need to change you on that medication at that point, you know, or whatever the conversation Mm -hmm. is. We we have to understand the patient and yet still be respectful of them and not Mm -hmm. obviously be triggering them along the Mm -hmm. way as Mm -hmm. well. And I think that comes into the fact that we are we are medical providers. We are prescribing, but at the same point, we are mental health providers. Mm-hmm. And so understanding them a little bit better and making sure mm-hmm. that we're not insulting them along the way, you know, uh, right. becomes more, you know, becomes a little <laughs> bit more challenging, uh, you know, as well.
1: Um, right, right.
0: You know, yeah, I, on my intakes and maybe it's because I identify as a queer cis man and, and, you know, people, and I openly, I do that. And, you know, my intakes tend to be a little bit more liberal focused with people in the, anywhere in the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. spectrum. And we talk about a variety of things, possibly more than what a hetero counterpart might. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that that's, you know, those are some of the key questions and like, you know, even if it's a matter of saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm considering putting you on a medication, are you thinking about becoming pregnant? You know, to to anybody. Um, mm-hmm. and, and figuring out the the mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's the best way, you know, mm-hmm. to have that conversation without A being insulting, B, you know, or B being triggering.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm.
0: I think that means knowing the patient better. Right. 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 You know, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've covered a variety of different things. This is really awesome. awesome Jay. <laughs> what, uh, any other thoughts that you'd have that you'd want mm-hmm. to share?
1: Oh, I think, you know, that any patient can really benefit from this. And I think that this is something to be mindful of no matter, you know, where you're working in, in healthcare, but um, like trauma, trauma-informed care Absolutely. Yeah. and really allowing people to have agency over their bodies and um, that there is an inherent uh, power dynamic happening in the room, right. With you and a patient that, There is somebody who is receiving care and there's somebody who is giving care and there's somebody who has um, who may potentially have (laughs) a lot of expertise in a specific field and then you may not um, as the patient. So there is always some sort of power dynamic happening and there may be even more of a power dynamic happening um, when we're thinking about cisgender uh, clinicians and Transgender patients that there is, you know, folks are in a number of ways uh, may may feel as though their position as the patient is the one without the power, and to allow that patient to have some control and some decision making through conversation and whether there may be exams or touching of the body for any reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if we are collecting somebody's, you know, medical or social histories, um, you know, saying like, hey, these sets of questions are about X, Y, and Z and I want to let you know what's coming up. Um, we can take this as slow or as fast as you'd like and let me know if you if I can help you along the way or what would make you feel more most comfortable as we're going through. Um, really allows people to, you know, it's a small you know, language there to help people feel like they have a little bit more control mm-hmm. through the process. And with with you know touching of the body, you know, that's extremely personal for a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. Some people Thankfully, might feel something in psychiatry yeah. we don't do a lot of, but yeah, yeah. yeah but even a blood pressure or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. Know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Even those those small touches mm-hmm. um or that may seem small to some people, you know, are a big deal, it can make people feel very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, even just, you know, observing and perceiving, you know, somebody in a space, like having somebody there looking at you, um, it's like, it can be pressure as well. So that is something too, that I think may not get talked about enough is, you know, trauma-informed care, knowing that specifically, you know, this conversation around transgender and non-binary folks, they do have a lot of medical trauma often. Mm-hmm. And trauma in general for any number of reasons. And we need to be mindful when we're trying to give care because we also, again, don't want to cause more harm while we're in those spaces. And we do want to let people feel like they have autonomy um, over their bodies and have control mm-hmm. over there. And they haven't lost it just because there's, uh, <laughs> they're in a in a, uh, a healthcare setting, right? <laughs> but,
0: uh, <clears throat> so true. So true.
1: Yeah. And like one last thing that I want to talk about, too, is like the importance of looking at this work from an intersectional lens, too, is that, you know, to make our spaces as inclusive as they can be to transgender and non-binary folks, they also have to be as inclusive as they can be to all marginalized folks because there are transgender and non-binary people who are also um, experiencing other types of oppression. So racism, ableism, ageism, all the isms and phobias, right? All of those um, are happening at the same time and they don't happen in this vacuum. And if we are not also um, you know, supporting all marginalized communities, we're not really supporting trans people either because there are transgender people who are black indigenous people of color or are disabled or are any... Um, other identity that may be marginalized or oppressed and uh, we have to be doing that work too.
0: Yeah, no, it's very good point. Well, I want to thank you uh, for, you know, we've covered a couple of things. I, I don't want to keep you because um, you are a busy, busy, busy person. Thank you. <laughs> um, how about you want to share uh, again, different ways for people to reach out to you or the, or your organization and then, I'll make sure it's all in the show notes as well.
1: Yeah, of course. There's going to be a long list, but I hope you're ready. Um, okay, hang on. So <laughs> all
0: right, let's go.
1: <laughs> the uh, LGBT Center of Central PA, uh, that's my full-time gig. Uh, we do in-site uh, training, site-by-site, customized for your workplace. And we would love to host a training with you. Uh, Transitor Training Institute, I am mostly doing webinars and short courses, um, for mostly medical, um, providers and mental health folks. So check out Transgender Training Institute, sign up for the newsletter. You'll see what sorts of offerings we have every single month. And also I'm running a course, uh, for mental health and social service providers through temple university Harrisburg campus wow. and uh, spots are filling up for the fall. So if you can make it, that would be great. would love to have you in my course. Um, if not, then we'll have to look to the spring, but um, whatever you might be able to manage. Uh, and you can find me on uh, Instagram, Drake uh, is my handle. And I post, you know, some personal stuff too. So you can, you know, kind of a, a personal blog, but also um, some helpful tips and tricks and info about creating more inclusive spaces and best practices for affirming transgender people.
0: Great. Thank you. we'll make sure again, if, if you folks weren't writing down fast enough, I'll make sure it's all in the show notes. Just click on the show notes and you, you can see all of that. And I will say that um, uh, I have taken courses, multiple courses with the Transgender Training Institute, including mm-hmm. their three-day um, trainer class. And it is a phenomenal organization. And I'm sure if Dre is affiliated with them, all the other stuff that Dre is doing is is equally fascinating. So <laughs> thank you very much, Dre. I appreciate thank you coming to Well, that's it for this episode of Psych NPcast. We'll see you in our next episode. Don't forget to tell your friends and in whatever podcast system you're in, don't forget to rate us. That helps us get found by other psych NPs. We'll see you next time.